Good morning, Seven Mile Road. So glad that you've tuned in to worship with us this morning. And I just want to start off by saying, uh, today's a holiday, in case you didn't know. I just want to start off by saying, Happy National Sausage Pizza Day. Um, I, I feel odd even saying that out loud. Uh, there's a, every single day is a holiday. Every single day is a day where more and more things are being consumed because it's ice cream day or coffee day or take your dog to the park day. And our culture, in so many ways, is awash uh, with finding more and more reasons for you to spend your money, for you to post yet another thing on your Instagram uh, of where you've been, of what you're doing. Uh, I, I can confess that I often complain to my wife, Kat, that uh, all of a sudden, our, our showers are going to start having showers. Um, there's a shower for everything. And, and not to say that all showers are bad. Those are wonderful and good. Uh, and yet it just feels like our calendars are consistently filled up by yet another shower for yet another thing to celebrate. Well, Seven Mile Road, we are in a society, in a culture, awash with lots of excessive celebration. And this morning, what I want to talk about is is when we actually are living into what God has called us to be, the people of God, we will begin as we reflect on his provision for us. And when we see that our obedience actually meets his provision, when they come and join beautifully together, we are called to be a community marked by holistic celebration. Not the excessive sort, not the unnecessary sort, once, well, I have to mention this, the one holiday this coming Tuesday that I, that I do think is, is worthy of celebrating is National Transfer Money to Your Sunday. And so I'm going to be uh, reaching out to my folks and my in-laws, perhaps, to, to remind them that that's a national holiday we should definitely celebrate, not excessive or unnecessary at all. But back to the point of why we're gathering today, uh, to look at God's Word, to talk about us being a people marked by holistic celebration, where we find ourselves in our journey through the book of Nehemiah is that we have now captured, okay, this is, this is the heart of a leader and the person of Nehemiah. We can, we can trace that out. Now we've been trying to figure out together what it looks like to, to have a soul of this type of community. What are the markers of the soul of a community of the people of God? And now that we are in, in Nehemiah 12, starting in verse 27, we, I just want to give us a quick replay of the tape as to where we've been, just a summary statement that Nehemiah, because of the leader that he is, had to go through a lot just to get to this point where they're finally dedicating the walls that he has given so much energy, so much effort and time to actually restore and rebuild. He had to get an armed escort from King Artaxerxes because of the hostile neighbors. He got documents sealed with, with the king's stamp on it to have the resources readily available to build these walls. Not only did he experience external pressures, but also internally a conspiracy against him as a leader. All of these hurdles, all of these obstacles, and even the blessings from God's hand had to be met by Nehemiah's continual yes on the table, his obedience. And because those things came together, here we find the community celebrating. Celebrating. And in the text this morning, we're going to come to find that the recipe The recipe for holistic celebration as the people of God is threefold. The first thing we're going to come to find, the first ingredient for this recipe of holistic celebration is organized worship. Organized worship. 
then we'll see what that'll funnel us into and toward is a posture of outstretched hands. And finally, the last ingredient toward this recipe is overspilling joy. Overspilling joy. And so if you look in the text with me, if you have your Bibles with you, Nehemiah 12, verse 27. I'm going to read a few verses and then skip a few to get to the the thought chunks of this text. So uh, bear with me here. In Nehemiah 12, verse 27, it says this. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgivings, and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the districts surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages of Netophetis, and, f- and also from Beth Gilgal and from the region of Geba and Asmaveth, for the singers had built for themselves villages all around Jerusalem. And the priests and Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. Then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south on the wall to the dung gate. Now I want to fast forward here to verse 37. In verse 37, it says this, At the fountain gate, they went up straight before them by the stairs of the city of David at the ascent of the wall above the house of David to the water gate on the east. The other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north, and I followed them with half of the people on the wall above the tower of the ovens to the broad wall and above the gate of Ephraim and by the gate of Yeshanah and by the fish gate and the tower of Hananel and the tower of the hundred to the sheep gate. And they came to a halt at the gate of the guard. So both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God. Fast forwarding to our final verse that we'll be studying today is verse 43 and it reads this. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Now, Seven Mile Road, what this text is revealing to us again is this recipe for holistic celebration, the first being organized worship. Did you see that there were so many gatherings of different sorts of people? Levites, priests, singers, sons of each of those groups with trumpets in hand, other instruments alike, leaders and officials coming together synchronized to have this processional march that encircled the city. And as they walked along the wall that they had just rebuilt over 52 days, one started in the southeast corner, the other in the west. And as one made its way around on this corner, the other made their way here, all culminating into verse 40 into the house of God. And so as we trace these two groups with the same amount of leaders, the intricacy of all the detail, it's, it's, it's so coordinated and organized and logistically thought through. And it begs the question, why? <laughs> why all these details? I even skipped over a few verses with all the names and, and the extra minute organizational thoughts. Why? Why all of this labor to organize this, this worship and praise? And the answer is this. It's to retrace their steps. It's to relive their journey that they've been on. Imagine being part of one of these, these groups, these processions. And because you were there, you were there rebuilding the wall. And there were moments where you feared for your life, 
For days on end, you had to have sword in the sheath on your waist and a hammer in the other. And as you walked by with maybe a good friend of yours, you would look down at that portion of the wall that you helped build and you would look to your friend and say, remember when you, you stubbed your toe there? When you dropped that stone on your finger in that moment over there? Remember that night that we thought about running away, that this was gonna to be too difficult? This was, was too daunting of a task. We were worried for our lives. Remember when we thought about running away with our families that night together? You see, each step, each moment that passed by, they're reliving the experiences. They're retracing their steps. They're rehearsing the story of what it took to actually build this wall. That's what the organization of worship, of praise, of this, this logistically coordinated service is doing for these individuals. Remember that moment? Do you remember that night? And you see, Samaro, this is why. This is why we, we structure our Sunday gatherings uh, with, with such thought, with such consistency, that each and every time that you join us virtually like this, you will always receive, first and foremost, a song and a call to worship that, that reminds you that God invites you. That before you have said a word, a good word, or done a good thing, the God of the universe is ushering and beckoning you toward himself. He's inviting you to know him and to worship him. Not only that, we always and consistently bring God our, our worst deeds, the ugliest part of ourselves. And as we confess our sins to an all-holy God, it is to our great, our great joy that he assures us of pardon. And so that is why we rehearse the fact that God renews us week after week, day in and day out, because our hearts need that reminder. And in this moment, as we open up the scriptures together, we're reminded that in this moment, God speaks to us, that God's word is alive and it pierces through the division of our hearts, that God is a God who speaks and has spoken through his word. And whenever we gather together in person, we always go to the table we remind ourselves that, that at the Lord's Supper, that with those elements, that Jesus sustains us by his sacrifice. He feeds us. And finally, with the benediction, we always remind ourselves that we are a sent people, a commissioned people. And you see, so Seven Mile Road, the way that we even order our services, the way that we have thought through how to coordinate a Sunday gathering is all to do the same thing that these people, the Israelites are doing in this moment, is to retrace the steps, is to rehearse that story, to remember that God did it all and we get to be recipients of it all in grace and by his mercy because we are a forgetful people, church. We have to be the people to actually relive the story, to retrace our steps. It reminds me, too, that we're going to shortly sing a song called Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And in that song, there is a line in a verse that says, Here I raise my Ebenezer. And if you've grown up in the church, you, you've probably sung this song. You've probably sang that particular verse. And maybe you've never fully understood what it means or why it's there. And I want to just shed some light onto the fact that an Ebenezer is the Hebrew word for uh, the, a stone of help. That back in 1 Samuel 7, that when the, the people of God, the Israelites, were grappling with the Philistines and had, had really no hope of victory and had even experienced great defeat and sorrow when God miraculously rescued them, secured them their victory. 
he had instructed and commanded for the prophet Samuel to build a, a monument of a stone or stones to remind everybody that, that God helped us, that he rescued us, that when we couldn't do it on our own, he did it on our behalf. So let's always f- remember this moment. Every time we walk by this place, let's recall and retrace the steps that this is a stone that reminds us that God has helped us. You see, Robert Robinson wrote that hymn, Come Thou Fount, back in 1758. And he too had experienced that that greatness of God, the goodness of God's provision. And so he had to write that line in. That when he was out of wits, his own wits, when he could not figure it out himself to secure his own victory, to secure his own peace, that God rescued him in that moment. So he wrote that beautiful hymn that we get to still sing today. Here I raise my Ebenezer. You see, this is what the people are doing as they walk over the very stones that they've placed that our God helped us, our God provided for us. His faithfulness does truly extend to us. And this is is all organized so that we can remind and rehearse it again and again to our hearts. And so my question for you, Seven Mile Road, is, is do you prioritize this? That even with a pandemic looming and us not being able to do this as we would prefer and like to do, do you still prioritize this journey of remembrance, retracing the steps that God has provided, that he has been faithful to rescue us, to be our help? Or is it just another check box at the end of your week? Do you come with all the distractions still uh, at your fingertips, and so my, my plea, my ask to you, Seven Mile Road, is that you would prioritize this, this gathering, even though it is through virtual means right now, that you would come longing to retrace the steps of God's goodness and provision in our lives. You see, this is the first ingredient, organized worship. This is the first ingredient to holistic celebration. The second one The second one is outstretched hands. It's outstretched hands. And so I want us to look back in the text. Look with me at verse 31. In verse 31, it says, Then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One goes to the south, one goes north. Again, these are the groups that are circling the walls that have now been restored. I want to highlight the fact that that phrase, choirs that gave thanks, that in the Hebrew is actually one word a plural word, todah, which is the word for thanks or thanksgiving. It's used earlier on in verse 27. And what I want to highlight about that word is that todah, in its root meaning, actually means an extension of the hands. That for the, the, the Hebrew language, there is a correlation to a physical response. That when we are grateful, when we are celebrating, when we are uh, thanksgiving, Our hands do something. They extend out. They're outstretched and lifted up. You see, this this is insightful for us because though we get several words to describe this group of people, two great choirs that gave thanks, in the original language, it's it's two todas. (laughs) It's two groups of people that are actually defined and marked by their physical posture. Now, why would that be? Why would these two great assemblies be named specifically for their physical posture? The answer is this. It is impossible for you and I as human beings, 
it is impossible for us to experience pronounced moments in our lives, whether that's of great ecstasy and excitement or even on the other end of the spectrum of, of longing and even sorrow for us not to have a physical response. That our bodily postures will be affected when we are incredibly excited or even incredibly sorrowful. This is true in the biblical narrative, but also in our own personal ones. To highlight some of the biblical ones, King Solomon in 1 Kings 8, as he is reflecting and celebrating and praising God for the ways that the temple has been built, his presence is with his people, he lifts up his hands. He lifts up his hands. He stretches out his arms. The psalmist in Psalm 63, as his soul thirsts for God, as he longs for more of his nearness in his life, the psalmist says that he lifts up his hands. He outstretches his arms. Not only that, as the prophet in Lamentations 3 repents, goes low and is confessing of all his shortcomings, even in that space, the hands are lifted up. Hands are stretched out wide. You see, this this isn't that far off from what we experience day to day. On a very personal level, when your favorite college football team scores a touchdown, instinctively, especially if you're there in the moment, what do your hands do? They go up. They go up with the referees, in fact. Now, I haven't seen much of that as a Texas football fan, but that's okay. That's beside the point. When your favorite team score, there's so much excitement, so much ecstasy. It's impossible to not do something bodily. Or maybe when you're dancing at your best friend's wedding. It is, again, it is so impossible to not allow our physical posture, our bodily activity to be affected by the experience. But when you're at the concert of your favorite musician and they're playing your song, your body responds. We see this even in children when they run to their parents as they come in through the door longing to be picked up. You see, this is, this is our physical posture when the experience is actually bubbling up inside of us. Seven Mile Road, our physical postures, our bodily responses to experiences are actually very telling of what's going on on the inside. Now, this reminds me of uh, one of one of my favorite movies. is uh, It's called Hitch. And maybe you've seen it. It stars Will Smith. And Will Smith's job is to help men uh, who are head over heels in love with a woman that is out of their league try to make that happen. The introduction, the dating, ultimately even marriage. That's his job as a consultant. And the main character alongside Will Smith is a, is a character named Albert Brenneman. Albert Brenneman works for uh, a really successful, beautiful woman named Allegra Cole. And he finally musters up the courage and with Will Smith's help gets a date on the calendar. And now they're preparing for this party that they're going to. There's gonna be some dancing, some music. And so Will Smith is trying to prepare Albert Brenneman for this moment. He says, I don't care what you've thought about, I don't care what you've done in the past. This is your physical posture when you dance with the woman of your dreams. 90 degree angles of your arms. Six feet or six inches away from your waist. Side to side. And Will Smith says, this is home for you. And Albert Brenneman, because he's imagining getting to dance with the woman of his dreams. He's going crazy. My favorite dance that he thinks of, uh, that he thinks might be a good idea is the Q-tip dance where he's, and then he's throwing it away, and that's beside the point. But when he actually gets to the moment of dancing 
with Allegra called the woman of his dreams again. He's trying his best to listen to Will Smith's advice. Okay, 90 degree angle. This is home. Six inches from the waist. That's all I've got. But the moment she turns around in a spur of, of excitement, because it's spilling up into him and out of him, all of a sudden, he goes crazy. His arms are going everywhere. He is dancing like a madman, like there's no tomorrow. And the moment she turns back around, he's back home, back to home base, because he doesn't want to embarrass himself. But Seth Monroe, don't you see that, that for Albert Brenneman to be able to dance with the woman of his dreams, that to be in her presence in that moment with the music on, how could he not? How could he not allow his, his physical posture to be affected by the experience? And I, and I just need to stress the fact that I'm not, what I'm not saying is that if your hands are stretched out wide, that all of a sudden you are more worshipful in your experience with God, that you are more faithful, that that's, that's a marker somehow of that, that's not what I'm trying to say. And I'm not even trying to prescribe that you stretch out your hands out wide every single time we sing a song in our, in our service together. What I am going to stress though, is I wanna challenge you. Well, why not? Why not? Why is it that maybe for you in, in worshiping the God of the universe, the one who is above everything and everyone and whose presence we get to be swept up in, who longs to engage us and be near to us, and we have come as a community on a Sunday morning to worship and to sing to him. The music is on. How can we as a people simply respond with 90 degree angles of of our elbows, six inches from our waist? How can we with hands in our pockets just stand by when we get to be in the presence of our God? So my challenge to you would just be to ask, well, why? Why is it that at the football game or at the wedding or at the dance or the concert, why is it in every other setting your physical postures are affected by the experience and yet when we worship the living God in his presence, it's not? So my challenge to you, said Martha, is just to ask the question, why? <laughs> what is keeping you from being able to, with hands outstretched, provide thanksgiving and honor and glory to the God who is with us? So we've got the first two ingredients, outstretched hands, organized worship. And it leads us to the third, overspilling joy. Look with me in verse 43. As these two choirs have now made their way, these two todas have encircled the walls, have now recollected the story, retraced their steps. They get into the house of God. And as they reach this climactic point, we get this descriptive verse in verse 43. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. The woman and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Five times in one verse, joy, 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 expressing joy, rejoicing, and joy again. Do you see? Do you see that that this is going to be the response? That if we actually step into this sort of celebration, when we, when we are witnessing God's provision, and oh my gosh, we are actually stepping into obedience toward that provision of God, we get to experience joy, 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 unending joy 
joy that spills up out of us. Do you see the rippling effect? Tomorrow, do you see the rippling effect of this joy? It doesn't just end with the people that are there praising. It extends even to the households that the woman and children are experiencing now this joy. And then not only that, it's also heard far away that neighboring cities and nations and peoples are now hearing of the joy that is being commemorated, that they're getting to witness it. You see, it's, it, it doesn't end with the individuals that have the joy from the Lord. It spills out to, to affect everybody in their proximity. With the recent pandemic, there has been uh, lots of technology and tools to try to assist us to navigate this time, one of which is contact tracing. Now, the big tech firms are working together to try to, to utilize the, the phones that you carry, that we all carry, with Bluetooth and GPS all installed. They're tracking us all the time. And one of the things that have been a, a helpful tool is this concept of contact tracing, to know where you've been, who you've touched, who you've been in close proximity with. Now, now I, would, I, would, it, I just want to ask the question, does your joy end with you? Or if we were to contact trace the joy that God has given to you when he provides for you, when he's been faithful to you, when you witness that, when you remember that, when you retrace the steps of all the ways that God has, has remembered you, has provided for you, can we actually trace all the ways that your joy has contacted and touched other people? The way that it spills at the moment that you go home and that your spouse and that your children receive the joy, the ripple effect of, of the delight in your heart that God has given to you. Do your roommates taste it and see it? Seven Mile Road, does it affect your neighbors? Does it affect the way that you engage them, the way that you're thinking of them, the way that you converse with them across from the fence or even to go knock on their door? Does it affect your colleagues at work, your friends that you engage? And does it even affect the strangers and the acquaintances that you might never know the names of, the, the person who bags your groceries or who, who takes your order uh, for coffee? Do they get to experience the ripple effects of the joy that God has given to you? You see, because overspilling joy is the final ingredient of this recipe of holistic celebration. That as we, as the people of God, come together and we worship him in an organized way for us to retrace our steps, to remember that God's provision has been so, so good to us. And then with outstretched hands, we say, thank you, thank you, thank you, and a thousand times, thank you, God. That joy that wells up inside all of a sudden touches everyone, everyone in our proximity that that is the recipe of holistic celebration. So Seven Mile Road, does the joy spill out from you or does it end with you? Friedrich Nietzsche, a, a German philosopher of the 18th century, a, um, a really devout atheist and critic of Christianity said this, I might believe in the Redeemer if his followers looked more redeemed. I'm going to read that one more time. I might believe in the Redeemer if his followers looked more redeemed. Now, what Nietzsche was seeing in the community of, of God was not just a people that maybe didn't live up to the redemptive narrative, but he saw people that weren't really excited about it. That Nietzsche loved music and the arts, he loved dancing. And he didn't see a people 
following this Redeemer that he refused to believe in, celebrating, rejoicing, maybe more so begrudgingly obeying their Redeemer. She said, Ma wrote, it is an effect that should affect everyone in our proximity, that the joy that God has given us should be able to be traced to every single person we touch and come into contact with. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher of all preachers, said that we, the church, we of all people have greatest cause for joy, have greatest cause for joy, that no one else in this universe, no one else in this world has a greater right for delight than us. Because Seven Mile Road, in Jesus, in Jesus, we get the perfection of God's provision. Not only in his life, but even his willingness to go to the cross for us. That he, being the spotless, holy, perfect Lamb of God, would go so far as to die the death that you and I deserved to die. This is where God's provision was met, not by our obedience, because we failed to obey, but Jesus' obedience to go to death and even death on a cross. You see, as we retrace those steps of Jesus, we come to find that it wasn't our obedience that gives us the greatest source of celebration. It was the fact that God, the Father's provision to give us Jesus and Jesus' obedience to go to cross, go to the cross, and then to even go so far as to defeat death in the grave, to lay it there, to conquer over sin and over Satan and over any shame that you and I could ever experience for our lack of obedience. He ushers us now into the greatest celebration that should affect every single day of our lives for all of eternity? Do you feel the weight of how the gospel now makes us the most celebratory people that has ever walked this earth? Well, Seven Mile Road, I I so badly want to be a person like this. For us to be a community marked by holistic celebration, we're knowing what we know, believing what we believe about what Jesus has done, that we would raise our Ebenezer. <laughs> that our stone of help in Jesus at the cross now is our cornerstone. That we get to rest on his foundation, on his work. And now all of a sudden we get to live in life and life fully because of him. And now that stone, as it drops into our hearts, has a rippling effect. First, internally for us, in our physical posture, we get to stretch our hands out wide to give him thanks unending, and then it affects rippling more out of us, overspilling into the lives of every single person we see, interact with, talk to, and touch. Seven Mile Road is your life one that is marked out by one of holistic celebration. <laughs> I don't know about you, but let's Let's long for this. Let's strive for this. I want so badly for our community to be one of holistic celebration. Amen. Let me pray for us. Well, Father, I want to I thank you. I want to thank you that you have given us such great cause for celebration. Thank you, God, that in Jesus, your son, because of all that he has done on our behalf, we get to be a people marked by immense joy. <laughs> joy five times over. And because we sometimes don't know how to fully express our gratitude for all that you've done, God, I ask that you would teach us what it means to posture ourselves, not just physically, but emotionally and mentally, God, to be 
to be fixated on you, to give our bodies and our thoughts and our actions and our lives to the God of all that has done so much for us. God, you have provided in so many ways. Allow us to respond in obedience and thereby experience this this tidal wave of holistic celebration. God, we love you. And we want to say it a thousand times over, God, that we are so grateful for you. We come now to worship you. Allow our hearts and our bodies to be postured in such a way that gives you the most glory, that gives you the most praise. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.